Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Well, hello there, and welcome to a very special Frankie Sense and More. In what is becoming our director series, I'm excited to introduce you to a filmmaker, writer, and director from Down Under, Mr. Bill Bennett. But before I introduce him, let me reintroduce to you my co-host for today, Brent Marchand. As you know, Brent is the good radio movie correspondent and critic. He comes on once a month to talk about all the great movies, uh, but he's more than that. He's also an award-winning author of three books that talk about conscious cinema. The last being the third reel, Conscious Creation Goes Back to the Movies, for which he just won an award. Yay. Welcome, Brent. Thank you, Frankie. Glad and, to join you. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you here for this. And together, we are very excited to welcome Mr. Bill Bennett, who, as I said before, is a writer, producer, director of more than 16 feature films, four dramatized documentaries, five feature-length documentaries, and his feature films have won numerous awards, uh, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Writer. He's also an adjunct professor of screen studies at one of Australia's largest universities, Queensland University of Technology. And this year, Penguin Random House, congratulations, Bill, uh, published his young adult trilogy, Palace of Fires. And today we're going to be speaking to Bill about his feature documentary, PGS, Intuition is Your Personal Guidance System. First of all, welcome to Frankie Sensor More, Bill. Thank and you, Frankie. Why don't you tell us what led you to making this film about intuition? Well, what happened was this. This goes back to 1999. I was actually working on a movie in New Orleans at the time. And I had to get an early flight out back to Los Angeles. I was driving to the airport. It was before dawn. There were no cars on the road. I was approaching an intersection. I had a green light up ahead, and I heard a voice. And the voice said, slow down, which was weird. And I thought, okay, Bill, you haven't had enough coffee this morning. <laughs> you know, what is yeah. this? And I went to accelerate because I didn't want, to, I didn't want the light to turn red and you know, be, be stuck there because I was running late for my flight. So I... I went to accelerate. The voice said again, slow down. And at that time, I did slow down. And then this massive truck ran a red light on, on a cross street, hurtled through the intersection, just narrowly missed me. If I, hadn't, if I hadn't slowed down, if I hadn't listened to that voice and acted on it and slowed down, the truck would have killed me. Um, Incredible. And, that, and that, was, that was really the start of it. I, I came away from that pondering three questions. What was that voice? Where did it come from? And why did it save my life? And those three questions then really propelled me then for the next 18 years to make the movie. Wow, that's incredible. And you've never heard that voice before? I've never heard it before. And I've actually never heard it since as well. And you never recognized that voice? It didn't sound like anybody that you knew from any time? It, the best way I can describe it is that it's, it, it sounded kind of familiar. It sounded... The best way I can describe it is it sounded like an aspect of me, but it wasn't me. Gotcha. And it was both inside me and outside me. So, so it, was, it was a very strange kind of thing in that 
you know when you put earbuds in, in your ears when you're listening to music and stuff like that, and you can't actually locate the sound where it's coming from. You think it's inside your head, but it's also outside. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, really, that's really how it sounded like. Brent, I know that you have a question. Yeah, one of the things that I found interesting when, when, when watching this movie was um, you had said earlier on that when you, when you started on this journey into exploring what intuition was all about, um, that, that you weren't anticipating it would you know, lead you into exploring the core of your being and that it was something that you would resist if it did. Uh, what was causing you to be so reluctant about that? Well, I, um, Brent, I, I grew up in a secular household. Uh, both my parents were dentists, and all my brothers yeah. and sisters um, have gone into the medical profession. So I grew up in a very much evidence-based... Um, Scientific. Kind of, yeah, kind of household. And anything, you know, that smacked of, of mysticism or spirituality or, or even religion, um, you know, was sort of dismissed as... as being stuff that if you can't prove it, you can't measure it, and it doesn't fit the scientific method, then it doesn't exist. And so that was that that was my background. And then when I left university, I went into into um, well, first off went into medicine. I studied medicine for a couple of years. I was going to be a doctor. I went to med school, but then I, I my heart wasn't in it, and I switched across to journalism. And so I was trained as a journalist at the ABC, which is the Australian equivalent of the uh, BBC. Um, or you got in in Toronto, you've got the CBC, CBC, yeah. CBC, yeah, same, yeah. same kind of thing. Yeah. And, and all that did is reinforce this, um, this view, the skepticism, if you like, I, I, you know, I say that I was, I was trained to be a skeptic <laughs> when I did my journalism. And so when I approached the making of this film, I had that as a background and, and really, uh, really now when I look back on it, I didn't want to put myself out there. That was the real. That was the real thing. I just wanted to look at this as a clinical exercise, you know, that I would look at intuition, if you like, from a journalistic perspective, and keep an open mind, but not get involved. And I realised that, in fact, in the making of the film, that was just not possible. So, what did your wife think about this? Like, is she is she more in, intuitive? Women usually are. Does she believe in intuition? <laughs> Does she think, yeah, why is this bothering you so much, Bill? If it's bothering you so much, go out and find out about it. <laughs> like, well, my wife, um, <coughs> yesterday, we, <coughs> pardon me, it's very cold no here in, in the oh, US back. It's, um, yeah, it's very chilly. It's winter here for us. It's like 40 um, Celsius here. <laughs> <laughs> um My wife... Well, I was going to say, yesterday we, we celebrated 36 years of marriage. Congratulations. So Thank you. Yeah, we've been together a long time. She's intensely smart, and she is, um, she's been on a spiritual path for some time, and she didn't want me to make the film. She didn't oh. think that I was up to it. Oh. And she actually she tried to dissuade it. No, not, not that so much. She didn't feel as though I was qualified to do it. Okay. You know, that... that, that um, she, yeah, and, and in a sense, she was kind of right. But what I've come to realize now is that, that, that what she saw as a potential failing has, in, in fact, proved to be an asset. Because I'm not an expert. Um, I'm not a guru. I'm not somebody who has particular powers, you know, like, like the people that I've interviewed. Uh, you know, I can't, um, I'm not clairvoyant. I didn't see dead people. I'm not a mystic or a psychic or anything like that. But what I am is an ordinary person with curiosity, and I have the skills to make a movie and explore my curiosity in the making of the film. 
And that, I have discovered, has, has actually been quite an asset because when people watch the movie, they watch it through my eyes and I'm like most of them, you know, who come and see the movie. They're, they're like me and I'm like them. And so I'm able, I'm able to take them through this journey of discovering what intuition actually is. It's fascinating, really, and I, I absolutely love. I love that you know you interviewed saints and princes and channelers and medical intuitives, and you you found all these people, and and you allowed yourself to be intuitive in the making of the movie. Like you probably mm. didn't know where what's happening. Where am I going next? It just fell into your lap. Well, well, Frankie, what happened was this. Um, like I say, that 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 incident with the truck happened in 1999. And then I didn't do anything about it for about four or five years. You know, the, 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 um, the incident came back to me and it, it really did haunt me, you know, as to what happened and, and so forth. But I didn't do much about it. And then about four or five years after that, and this is now going to about 2004, 2005, I decided that I would make a film about it. I then spent the next nine or ten years trying to, get, trying to make that film, but without success. And I've been, you know, as you said in your intro, I've been quite successful in making movies, but I couldn't get this one up. And I came to realize that the reason I couldn't get it up was that I was working off old paradigms. I was working off will force and intellect. And I discovered that you can't make a film about intuition through using your intellect. You have to make it intuitively. Mm-hmm. And what happened was this. I had, at a point where I was about to give up and literally walk away because I'd just been getting rejection after rejection after rejection. At the point at which I was about to give up, I had a dream, a very prophetic dream, and it told me in clear, unequivocal terms that I had to make the movie, that I had to do it with whatever resources came to hand. I shouldn't wait for the big budgets that I wanted or the crew sizes that I wanted or all the resources and so forth. I just had to go out and make it. But the thing about that dream is that I woke up at 4.44 in the morning, straight up out of that dream, at 4.44 in the morning, I didn't know what 4.44 meant, but I Googled it. And up came these entries, a series of entries, essentially saying the same thing, saying that 4.44 is a powerful angelic number telling me that at this moment I am surrounded by my angels, my archangels, and my spirit guides. They are urging me to use my intention and minds to protect great success. Well... <laughs> How can you deny that? And you think, <laughs> well, you know, and you gotta, you gotta understand. I, I was not at that point a believer in angels or any of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I just woken up from that dream, and the dream was very clear in its directive. And then I, and and then I saw that it was four forty-four, the moment that I woke up. And then I googled that and read that, and I had to make a decision: Do I believe this, or do I just put it down as some crazy weird stuff that happened in the middle of the night and go back to sleep? Well, I decided that I would believe it. And in making that one decision, I brought the film into creation and it changed my life. Brent? One of the things that I really was impressed with with the film was the lineup of people that you managed to get together to be offering their input and doing the interviews with. Uh, I was wondering, like, how familiar were you with these people before you began working with them? And then was there anything special that you had to do to bring them on board? <laughs> Good question. Brent, I didn't have a, I didn't I didn't have a clue who these people were. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't have a bloody clue, mate. I didn't know who James Van Pride was or Carolyn Mace or any of these people. 
but what happened was this, and it's a really interesting question because um, when after that dream, and then and then reading this stuff about four forty four. I decided that I'd run with it because every other way that I've been trying to make the movie had failed. And I thought, well, what, you know, if nothing else, what have I got to lose? And, and there might, might be something in this. So what I did was this. I Later that morning, literally later that morning, I went out and I bought a camera. I bought some sound gear. And I decided that I would start to shoot the film myself. I bought tickets to India. I didn't have anybody lined up. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew that I had to start. And then I had to go to India because I felt that that was the best place to start to learn more about intuition, even though I'd been doing a lot of research over the years and so forth. And what happened was this. I was, I got to India. I, I was in the back of a, a taxi, uh, you, you know, with this, all this gear I bought and with this intention to start the movie. I didn't know who I was going to talk to. And I had an intuitive flash that I should go to the yoga center in Bombay. In Mumbai. in Mumbai. So I went there, I, I went to, I did a lovely interview with the director and she said, where are you going next? And I said, well, look, I don't know. And she said, well, you should go to Rishikesh and if you go there, then you should meet this man. And that turned out to be one of, you know, the fellow with the big beard, uh, Pooja Swamiji, His Holiness. Yeah. And he then introduced me to somebody else. And while I was at that ashram, then I sat opposite a photographer who worked at the Vatican and he introduced me into the Vatican. And literally... I was led from person to person to person. Of course you were. Um, you know, I was led to James Van Prague. James Van Prague said, you should go to Mount Shasta and meet Michael Tamura. Michael Tamura said, well, you really should see Norm Shealy. And Norm Shealy introduced me to Carolyn Mace. And, and that's how it happened. But I, look, uh, you know. So it James, really was a very intuitive approach then. <laughs> it really it was. Totally, it, was, it was totally it was intuitive. And, and, yeah. <laughs> I, I believe that, Frankie. I really do believe it. And, you know, the funny thing is, you know, I've been now touring America and, and now Australia here for a bit and watching the movie, and I kind of watch it like I go, I didn't make this film. Yeah. It's like it was, the <laughs> film did, was channeled for you. <laughs> how, how, how did this happen? I mean, James, James has become a friend, James Van Prague, and at literally 36 hours before I met him, I'd never heard of him. Did he give you a reading? No, he didn't. Um, one of the things that I do with these people, I don't ask for favors. And, no, no, no. Um, I, but sometimes they might just come. You know what? They want spirit wants me to tell you this. Yeah, that's happened. That's actually happened with a few people in the making of this film. And I, I've become really quite quite good friends with some of them. And you know, Frankie, the thing is, and, and Brent too. You know, like I say, I started out a skeptic. Mm -hmm. I started out a non-believer. But but when you spend time with these people, and these people are real, when you spend time with them. My God, you know, it just opens up the top of your head. And I'm absolutely astonished now that more people don't realize that there is a whole other thing going on in this world. We're just not aware of it. You know, I did an interview this morning. I was interviewed this morning, and, and one, of the, one of the conversations was that people who, who are on, let's say, this side, if you don't know about the, the conscious you know, then, then they're not in your, they're, like you just said, they're not in your realm. And yet there's a whole movement going on in this world that's so positive and so refreshing. And you think it's such a negative world, but it's not. There's a big balance. It's just you don't hear about them as much until you become more conscious as, as you do all the non-believers and negative people, the people think the world's going to hell or whatever the case might be. But I don't think it is. Do you think it is? Um. What you know, it's really, it's really, really interesting. It's a much bigger question. It, it's, I, I do believe that there is a shift. There is a shift happening, um, and this happened. You know, historically, if you go back, you know, 
back to the original theosophists and so forth. You know, there are waves of this, and, and with each wave we're moving forward and, and, and we're advancing. And Michael Tamura says it beautifully towards the end of my film where he says, you know, we've previously been an intellect body-based society mm-hmm. and now we're moving into a spirit-based uh, intuitive society. Yeah, and I, I really do think that, I, I, I do think that's happening. And, you know, I would like to think that my movie is going part way to helping that. It definitely it things, is. Well, one of the things that I want to do with this film is I want to demystify intuition. You know, Carolyn Mace is a very powerful, you know, yeah. personality, as you know, and she's an extremely... Hard ass. Uh, <laughs> but she's good. I liked her. <laughs> yeah. She gave me oh, hard time. A, I liked it. <laughs> oh, she's wonderful. But, um, you know, she, she says at one point in the film... Um, intuition is ordinary. You know, it's, it's organic in your DNA. It's divine in your DNA. And this notion that intuition is ordinary, I think, you know, really appeals to me because one of the things that I want to try and do with this film and with the Q&As I'm doing, and I'll probably start to do some workshops soon as well, is let people know that we, number one, we all have intuition. Yeah. It, it, it is born into it. It is part of what I believe is a system that works just like any other system in our body. It's just that it works energetically. And because it works energetically, our Western medical science people won't acknowledge that it exists. But anybody who's heard a voice or even had a gut feeling or had an intuitive ping, as I call them, I call them DDMs, direct divine messaging. And, you know, that, you. that's what, uh, <laughs> yeah, DD, crikey, you know, now. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, yeah, I'm, I mean, this, a reform skeptic. This is really, this is, yeah. I mean, somebody said, oh, Bill, you've come out of the spiritual closet. And I guess I have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's so funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. But your film, it, it is a wonderful film. And, you know, you said at the I hate to give the endings away, but like you did say at the end, I found myself and I don't think you knew that you were looking for yourself and yet you found yourself. So how, how amazing is that? You know, that's, that, that's a really funny thing, Frank. Yeah. I, I set out really to, I set out really with a curiosity to find out what that voice was and why it all happened. And I didn't realize that to do that, I, I would have to go through an intense recalibration, re-examination of myself. Yeah. Um, it, it's really interesting because, you know, I said before that I'd grown up in the secular household and I had this real uncomfortable feeling um, talking about God, you know, or even I would call it the G word. I wouldn't even say, say God. And I, and I set out, I, I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to make this film and I'm not going to mention God, mm-hmm. you know, I'm gonna, because I felt really uncomfortable with just even using the term God. But I realized that when, you, when you're dealing with mystical intuition, which is what I call, I mean, we can go into it later if you like, I, I believe that there are three broad categories of intuition. And what happened to me was a function of mystical intuition. When you're dealing with mystical intuition, you're dealing with the notion that there is a higher realm that is impacting you and everybody in some meaningful way. And then so you have to ask, well, what is that? And whatever you call it, it is some higher power. And you might call it God, you might call it the universe or cosmos or all it is, or, you know, we, we have different names for it. But essentially it is a higher power that is helping, number one, intuition. The purpose of intuition is to keep us safe from harm because we can't fulfill our destiny path if we're dead or we're infirm. So the, the primary function, I believe, of intuition is to keep us alive and keep us healthy. 
And the second, the second function of it is to keep us on our purpose path through life. And that's why I call it an, um, a guidance system because it's constantly trying to guide us towards our true purpose in life. And that's why so many people are unhappy because they've deviated off that path. They haven't listened to their intuition. They've instead, they've st- instead made decisions based on logic, you know, what society or peer pressure says they should do. They've shifted away from their intuitive destiny path and so they get to a certain age and they're desperately unhappy. I agree. But, you know, I think that midlife is, is, is the awakening time. We awaken from our socialized self to our true self. And so this is when we start to re-question but those, those questions we had as little kids looking out that window at the big universe going, who am I? Why am I here? It resurfaces again. I think in midlife, you look at yourself and you say, gee, I might have 20, 30 years to live. What did I do? Why am I here? What was my purpose? And you revisit that in a different way. And if you awaken, if you awaken consciously, then you get to where you are. It, it can happen earlier as well. And one of the things that I've discovered is that it, it often happens through some sort of what I call a calamity. Yeah. You know, either, you know, there's either a, a relationship bust up or somebody has died or you, you yourself have a major health issue. Yeah. Um, or there's some sort of financial crisis that happens. Some, some calamity sometimes hits you and forces you to re reassess things really you know at a much earlier age and when you look back on those things and you think at the time oh that's a total disaster how am i ever going to recover from this it turns out often to be the best thing that ever happened to you this is very true yeah i think it helps i think it helps to to shake you out of your complacency you sort of go along taking things for granted and then all of a sudden something says well your life is going to take a very drastic change what are you going to do about it Uh, and that and that you know forces you to uh, adapt and uh, and discover new skills about yourself that you didn't know existed previously. That's true. Yeah. yeah, I say change happens best in chaos. You know, we 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 too too often we're in our comfort zone. We don't want to leave it, and so when we're forced to leave it, that's when you know we can break away and and reconfigure and come back new and different. You said that you came back new and different. So how how is it with your family now? Are they able to hear your your jargon? Are they able to hear you talk about PGS or uh, do you keep it to yourself? <laughs> well, um, at our <laughs> <laughs> family at, dinner. At, at, at dinner the other night for our 36th wedding anniversary, you know, I sat down and Jennifer said, I have manifest, <laughs> you know, and by, by, by that, what she meant was that, <coughs> pardon me, she's, she's, she's been on a much stronger personal growth and path than me. And, um, and that's why she said I couldn't ever make this movie. I mean, she, she, she now believes that, you know, I'm sort of leaping, leaping ahead of her and she's leaping ahead of me and so forth, you know, so we're on this path together. Awesome. Um, but Frankie, look, it's very, very interesting. What some, somebody said to me quite early on, and it's one of the reasons why I was in part reluctant to do this film and certainly reluctant to put myself in the film, is they said, you're going to lose friends. If you do this, you're going to lose friends and people are going to disown you and they're going to walk away from you. And, that, and that's actually happened. Um, and with my family, my family is kind of passively <laughs> accepting of it but really they don't they don't think that i've changed and they don't they don't believe any of this stuff and they kind of humor me um they're not openly hostile but you know they're still very much in the in what lee carroll cryon calls survival mode right 
you know, and, and very much intellect-based, very much evidence-based in their thinking and so forth, and they don't believe any of this stuff. And there are, you know, people from what I call my former life um, that have just dropped away. And either, I guess the reason that that's happened is because either one, they don't believe it, or they're very uncomfortable with the way that I'm, I'm now living my life, which is absolutely intuitively. I live my life intuitively now. Beautiful. Um, but the fact is that they don't want to change because right. they see that I've changed. And I think in some way that kind of threatens them yeah. that, um, because they don't want to change. Now, I'm not, yeah. now, I, you know, with this movie and everything, I, I never proselytize. I don't get on the box and say, you should do this because I've done this. Right. What I do, what I do, do is I say, I've done this and this is what I've experienced. You know, people I think the movie speaks that. for you, though. It really does. It's very, it's powerful. Well, you know, Frankie, look, I, I never wanted to be in the movie. Um, and I only put myself in the movie right in the very last stages of editing. And the reason I did that was because I showed the movie with me not in it to a lot of people. And they said, well, what about you? You know, It started we with were... you. You have to be in the movie. It was your well, voice. <laughs> How could you not? Yeah. I, look, I, I didn't want to because really I think now when I look back on it, and I'm totally honest with myself, I didn't want to put myself out there. Right. Because I knew that if I did put myself in the movie, then there was no place I could hide and there was no place I could ever go back to. You know, it, 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 was, it wasn't so much, if you like, a technical production decision as to whether or not I should be in the movie. It was actually a life decision, right. you know, of, of do, do I take this step now out into the moonlight, totally naked, dancing under the stars, you know, and... And you can't ever scuttle back into daylight and put your clothes on and say, I never did that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, was this your purpose, this movie? Do you think this was your purpose or your raison d'etre? I think, um, I, I think, I think what happened on that street in New Orleans um, happened for me to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm getting chills. I mean, it's just a confirmation for me. It. That, that, that's true. Brent, what did you feel well, when, you, when you watched this movie? Did you get chills? Did you, like, tell me what, what your experience was like. Well, I, <clears throat> I mean, I've, I've been dealing with these topics for, for quite yeah. some time now. So to me, um, I was looking at this and saying, this is an, an excellent way of explaining it and encapsulating it and giving people, you know, an understanding of how all of this material works. And in particular, one of the things I was impressed with was the fact that, Bill, you did put yourself into the movie because by making it personal, I think you brought the material down to a level for people that they could more readily relate to. Mm -hmm. Did you get a sense of that, <clears throat> excuse me, when you were working on it, that, that by putting yourself in there, you would make it more relatable to the people who are watching the film? Um, that's happened subsequently, Brent. I, when I was doing it, I didn't, uh, that, I guess, I don't really think that was my in, intention. Um, I just wanted to really try and find a, a, a clear, easy to understand, accessible way to deal with what I found to be actually a very complex subject. Um, I, I'm an experienced filmmaker, and I have to say, this film took me right to the edge. Um, there were times, and I spent three years filming and two years editing this film, maybe. Wow. It's the longest I've ever spent, you know, in, in the production process. Normally films, as you know, are shot in a, you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of months at the most, and editing normally is over, done and dusted in six months. 
um, this took me right to the edge because I, I, I remember calling up a friend and saying, I, I don't think I can finish this movie. I don't know how to tell this story. This is just, this is just too overwhelming. I can't do this. And so what I tried to do, and one of the reasons it took so long, was I tried to find a way to explain intuition that made sense to me and that didn't dumb it down and that it didn't take away from the sacred nature of what we're dealing with. Um, you know, that was terribly important to keep the integrity of it. And, uh, you know, I'm here at the moment at this film festival. I, I addressed a whole bunch of school, um, film school students yesterday uh, that would seen the movie. And what I, what I said to them was one of the most important things you, you need to do as a filmmaker is maintain your integrity with the material. You have to keep true to the story. And that was, you know, one of the things that, was, that allow, has allowed me to make this film the way it is, is that I didn't sell to TV. I haven't pre-sold to Netflix or any of these things. I've had absolute total control over every aspect of the production so that I could tell the story exactly the way I want to tell it. Because that, to me, was the most important thing. You know what I found very powerful in that movie was the people that you interviewed, especially like the Paul Seligs and, and the Saraswati, who actually you know came from Wall Street or Yale or, or whatever universities they, they managed to come from, and just a voice, their voice said, stay here. Stay in the ashram in India. Stay over here. Like they totally left their life for a new life, like a, a really, like a literal, like real big change of life, right? And, and like that was very powerful because you think, why would they do that? I mean, I, you know, I, I get it, but audience members, why would they do that? I don't get it. Why would people, you know, leave what they had for this? They were, you know, got their PhDs. They've got this, they got that. And I felt the same way about coaches, you know, when neuro, you know, neurosurgeons were leaving surgery to become a coach. I'm like, why would you do that? That was kind of weird, but I get it. I get it. Um, Paul Selig is an extraordinary case in point with, with that, Frankie. Um, Paul, uh, as you said, was, was a Yale. Um, no, he was Yale, Yale um, uh, professor, isn't he? Yeah. And, and he was, uh, NYU. He was, uh, you know, a, a teacher at NYU for 25 years. And he had a spiritual epiphany that changed his life totally. Um, Paul has been a huge influence on me and in the making of this film, I've got to say. Um, you know, Paul, James Van Prague, these people in the film, they're real. I mean, they are real. And it just opened my eyes. You spend time with these people and you really go into the, into the research, as I've done, you know, and see how they work. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, you look at Lee Carroll. And his, yeah, um, I was going to say Lee Carroll was... And, and Cryon. It's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Um while I was editing this film, I would walk to the editing room and the walk would take me about um, 80 minutes from where I lived to the editing room. And each day I would walk. And on each day I would listen to a Cryon podcast. Oh, and what yeah. I would do, yeah, what I would do is I, I would get his website and then I would just make a selection intuitively. I wouldn't look at anything other than I would just sort of like feel what, feel what jumped out at me. And then I would make a selection. I'd go, okay, I'm going to listen to this podcast. And invariably, the podcast that I listened to was exactly what I needed to hear on that day to solve a problem in the editing room. It was almost as though Cryon was talking to me personally and saying, Bill, this is what you have to do. <laughs> and you doubt, you doubt <clears throat> this intuition. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's, it's funny how it works like that, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's absolutely, absolutely <clears throat> extraordinary. It, it really is. It's crazy. I know, it's yeah. crazy. And what, now, was it Lee that, um, Carol, that, that, 
uh, channeled at the United Nations like seven times. Yeah. What, how did, yeah, what yeah. happened there? Did he tell you the story? <clears throat> um, no, I'm not quite sure. But, but Lee, I mean, Lee's connection with Cryon, and Cryon, he, he uses the word Cryon as a singular, but it's actually a group of guys. A group of entities, yeah, like Abraham. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And the same with Paul Selig as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he now has... Because he's been doing it so long, he now has this immediate access. He, um, you know, he goes through a certain procedure, but basically he's able to tap into Crown, you know, um, pretty much on demand. Yeah, yeah. And the same, the same with Paul Selig. And um, uh, you know, with Paul, his process is the guides come in and say, "We now want you to do a new book." And what he does is. in the first instance, Paul was very resistant to it. He said, no, listen, I've got a really comfortable life. Don't mess things up. You know, I'm, I'm happy as a teacher at NYU. You know, I've got friends and so forth. I've got a salary. Please just leave me alone. And the guides wouldn't leave him alone. And they said, we're going to start to channel, use you as a channel for books. And so, and that what they said to him was that you need to have a, somebody transcribe it because you won't remember everything we say. And this needs to be word for word. What we're going to give you is a, is word for word and it needs to be properly recorded and then transcribed without any changes. And so he then um, got um, a friend of his called Victoria in Berkeley. He was in New York and Berkeley was at the end of a phone and recorded everything. And so the guides just now over six books have just given him downloads periodically. Victoria has recorded them and um, typed them out word for word. And that's the book. Now, you listen to these recordings and, Frankie, Brent, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, even if you had it on a teleprompter and you had scriptwriters writing, you know, working on it and honing it, you know, for three weeks, it wouldn't be as as complex, as dense, um, as profound as what just comes through like that. You can't make this stuff up. And people who doubt this, I say, well, listen, do the research, you know, find out, find out what I found out, and you'll have to be convinced. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I met a lot of channelers, and it's incredible what comes out of their mouths. It's extraordinary. <laughs> I mean, it is really extraordinary, and it's so quick and different, and you know it's not them. You know it's not them. You no, can feel no. the different entity that has come in. Mm. Yeah, mm. Well, you, you, can, you can see that in the work also of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, of Jane Roberts who yes. channeled the entity known as Seth for so many years. When you read the books that were channeled by Seth and then you read the books that were written under her own heading, there's a very different tone in both of them. But the information is very comprehensive and complete in both cases. You know, what uh, I've now got a real taste for this, Frankie and Brent, and what I want to do, I, I now want to make, I want this film to be the first of a trilogy. I want the second film to be about fear. Mm-hmm. And I want to look at fear in the same way that I've looked at intuition. Mm-hmm. And the third film I want to be on, I'm calling it at the moment, the veil. I want to look at the veil and what's on one side of the veil and what's on the other side of the veil. And if I can, if I can do that before I die, I'll be a happy man. Awesome. I love it. I'm excited. I'm, I'm a metaphysical hypnotherapist. So, you know, I do past life regression and, and okay. uh, taking people to behind the veil. And it's very, it's very interesting and very exciting. And I've, I guess I've always believed in it. So for me, this is just, you know, confirmation, more confirmation, you know, mm-hmm. that we're moving toward this fifth dimension. Like, you know, we talked about 
the heart centered is fifth dimension living um, consciousness. And most of us, you know, most people are in their head at the third dimension. Some are raising themselves to the fourth, but fifth is where we need to go. And that's when, you know, you you have this heart centered consciousness, which is wonderful. You, um, are you practicing intuition or people asking, gee, Bill, how can I get my intuition stronger? Like, what are you telling them? (laughs) Um, what I'm telling them is number one, um, the first thing you've got to do is you, you've got to acknowledge that intuition exists because a lot of people don't. The second is you've got to be willing to work with it. Um, and then, you know, it's interesting. I, 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 there were 26 people I interviewed in the film, but I actually shot interviews with 76. So 50 people didn't oh. make the cut. Wow. I learned, off, I learned off every one of them. But one of the things that seemed to be a common term that came up in almost everybody that, that I interviewed across fields of science, religion, and spirituality were these terms, pay attention. You know, so if you start to pay attention both interior to your, you know, interior um, world that's happening, but also things that are happening around you, because what I've come to believe is that intuition pings you constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, it sends you DDMs constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, can I go into my theory of the three types of intuition? Yeah, go, do it. Love it. Okay, because look, when I started this out, I was really confused as to what intuition was because I, there, there didn't seem to be definitions that actually, actually sort of made sense to me. And I read widely, and I came to the conclusion that there are three types of intuition. The first type is what I call survival intuition, which is um, intuition which is to do with the survival of the species. It's body-based. It connects with your fight-or-flight system. It's the mother's intuition for the well-being and, and safety of their children. It's the um, it's that sense that we get when we find ourselves in a place and for no explicable reason we just know that we've got to get out of there and the hair raised on the back of our neck and so forth. It's very animalistic, primitive. It's survival. The second type of intuition is what I call cognitive intuition, and that's intuition based on expert knowledge. Often it's deeply subsumed, it's deeply buried, it's forgotten. But it's the kind of not, it's the kind of intuition that where a CEO can make a very complex, he would call it intuitive decision, like a gut decision, um, and ignore all the board and ignore, ignore all the focus groups and everything. He makes intuitive decision, but it's based on his expert knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, the third type of intuition is what I call mystical intuition, and mystical intuition is what happened to me. It's a voice in a car which says, "Slow down." It comes through dreams, um, synchronicities, coincidences, moments of deja vu, clairvoyance. Um, sometimes it's yeah. clairaudience. Sometimes it's a tactile thing. The number of people and told me stories, and, and there's one very similar story, and, and it plays out in variations. Basically, they're about to step off a curb. Somebody grabs them from behind, just holds them back just for a moment. A car flashes by, they turn around, there's no one there. Yeah. You know, so this, this is, um, th- these stories are being told to me all the time. Now, that's mystical intuition. So there are these three categories of intuition. And as soon as I started to realize that, then a whole lot of things then made sense. So what, what some people called intuition, I then went, oh, okay, well, they're talking about survival intuition, but that's not mystical intuition. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, that, that then started to, I needed to kind of work that out then to kind of make the film that I made. I'd like to, I'd like to see, you know, in one of the films, real people telling you their stories. 
telling you their stories of, you know, what, what changed my life and intuitively. Like I know for myself, I was in a really bad accident in a hospital for six months. Why? Cause I didn't listen. And I go, I know you wanted me to, you're telling me something. I don't know what you want. Well, they want to, they stop you. If you don't do what they want, they stop you so that you can hear. And James von Prague was one of the people who actually got me out like through, through this, I really? call the dark night of the soul. Yeah. Like just huge, you know, huge thing of reading and, and all these different people. So they will, they, they will stop you if they need you. <laughs> I'll tell you that. So listen, listen yeah. everybody. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. interesting. You know, these stories, like my dad fell in the lake. He was in his like seventies. It was hypothermia. Nobody was on the lake, but somebody got him out of the lake and then they looked and nobody was there, but somehow he couldn't get out, you know? So angels are around us. You don't know if they are, you don't know what they look like, but they come, they go and they're not expecting anything other than, you know, thank you, I guess. Oh, but you know, thank you, you know, for Frankie, saving you, Frankie. This, you know, it's interesting you say that because, um, you know, like I say, when I started this whole process, I didn't believe in angels, and one of the turning points was reading that four 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 thing, mm -hmm. and then I started to think, all right, well, look, let's say we are surrounded by angels. Let's let's say that they're right at this moment. You have angels around you, and I have angels around me, mm -hmm. and you know, and so let's acknowledge that they are. Beings of enormous compassion and love and, and knowledge and so forth, and they know everything about you. Now, if that's true, how does that affect your behavior? I mean, if you oh, are surrounded by. We angels, have free will, right? It doesn't affect our behavior. We have free, of course it does, because if you, if you start to think, hold on, um, should I really say this to this person? Because I've got angels with me at the moment. Or should I really think this about about that person over there? Because I got angels with me at the moment. I mean, oh, so you want to say it's going to make you a better person? Is that exactly. What you, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because that's what that's what's happened with me. Because every now and again, you know, I I, I um I think okay, if if I have these extraordinary beings of light around me, I'm going to be a better person because I don't want to disappoint them. Oh, I like you that. I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that that has materially affected my behaviour. And it's changed things in, you know, I, I now don't do not do some things that I used to do because I think, well, no, the angels wouldn't like that. Like get drunk? Things like that? <laughs> uh, yeah, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's leave it at that. How, how do you tap into your intuition? That's a really, really good question. Um, I have, as I said before, I haven't heard that voice since, which I really put down to the fact that I'm now a better driver. Mm. Um, <laughs> no. But um, <laughs> you got your film. But, um, I'm, I'm, um, intuition. Uh, I've come to understand now how intuition connects with me, and it, it, it comes through clear sentience. I have a very, very strong sense of knowing. And I tell people now that I don't, I don't make decisions anymore. I feel them. And, um, and, and by that, what I mean is that I've now, I've now got to this point where I'm almost suspicious of the intellectual process of making a decision. I, you know, it's instantaneous. It, it, if it feels right, then I do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's proven to be, it's proven to be very successful to me. I, I, was, I was talking to these filmmakers yesterday and one of them said, well, you know, if you've got a big movie coming up, how are you going to do that intuitively? That's going to be, you know, you're going to have all these pressures on you and so forth. And I said, well, what I've 
exercise is this, that if you act intuitively, you can actually act more efficiently. Um, things get done faster and they get done better. And the reason they do is because before I used to make decisions based on will force and type A personality traits and, you know, ra rational thinking and so forth. I would set goals and then I'd set milestones to achieve those goals. And, and then through force of will, I would, you know, achieve goals. But often those goals were just nothing. You know, they, they, I thought that those goals were important, but then I get to the point where I've achieved those goals and I realize they've been a total waste of time. And I've wasted two years of my life and a lot of money and so forth, a lot of banks. And now what I realize is that if I act intuitively, I only, I only set my side on goals that are for my highest good, for, for the betterment. And those things happen relatively effortlessly and without struggle. So, in fact, working intuitively, you can work more efficiently and be more productive. It's about, all about trust. It's totally about trust, yeah. yeah. It's, um, oh, I've got a leaf blower down here. Oh, I, just to explain, I'm in a pub in the outback. Okay. And, uh, is that a problem for you? Hold on, let me just... Yeah, go. Do what you have to do. Yeah, yeah. No, man. Can you see him? I can't see him Yeah, Not yet. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's where I am. That's great. Um, yeah. So, um... So, being in the outback, though, uh, I wanted to ask you in the movie, like, um... You didn't, did you talk to some bush people? Did you talk to people, you know, natives, aboriginals? Yeah, look, uh, yeah, I did. And the thing about the aboriginal people is that um, they have um, this extraordinary connection with Gaia, you know, with, with the land. And that's their spirit, spirit world. Yeah. Um, I, I did some filming with them. I wasn't able to include it in the, in the movie because there just wasn't time. Um, but they, their, their cathedrals, their churches are the rocks and the land and... and you know, and so forth. And, and there is, they have a connection with Gaia that, you know, that we just don't understand. It is, it is quite extraordinary. But Frankie, getting back to this question, how do I tap into my intuition? Paying attention is terribly important. Um, you know, people say that you, you need to meditate to be, to be more intuitive. I think that's an absolute nonsense. And one of the things that I'm trying to do with this film is tell people that in fact, it's really easy to start to, to live an intuitive life it's very it's very easy and you don't actually have to give up anything and you don't have to meditate you don't you don't need to you know sit in a cave and chant home for you know <laughs> for, for, for 20 for, for 20 hours i mean i have my most intuitive moments now in the shower every morning yeah. Oh, okay. Cut off from everything and you know, and the hot water and the steam and so forth um, puts me into the state. And often I'm in the shower. I've just woken up. I'm still, you know, my my astral traveling still hasn't totally come back into my body and so forth. And sometimes, sometimes that period in the shower is the most intuitive part of the day for me. Brent, did you so, catch that? He's astral traveling now. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe that? I love it. I love Isn't it. it? Well, I can give you confirmation on that, Bill, because the same thing happens to me. <laughs> yeah, I, get, I do it while driving. Yeah, I can't. I, you know, I tell you, Brent, if I'd seen myself, you know, five years ago sitting in, you know, the outdoor area of an out, outback pub 
talking about astral traveling and intuition, you know, to somebody in Chicago and somebody in Toronto, I would think. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I'd ag- I definitely agree because I used to be a journalist awesome. myself also. And, you know, going through some, some personal changes that led me to this, it just mm. completely opened my eyes and changed my life completely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it is interesting that, isn't it? Because um, sometimes it does need that catalyst, that trigger point, you know, to do that. Um, whatever it might be, and and spirit works in in the strangest ways. And one of the things that I've noticed is that um, if I can, you know, say this, you look at Lee Carroll. Lee Carroll was an audio engineer, and before before he was um, connected with Crown, he um, he didn't want to do any of this stuff. The same with. Paul Selleck, you know, but, but Lee Carroll was an audio engineer and he now um, disseminates Crown's teachings and so forth through audio podcasts. So in other words, Spirit chose the ability to get the message out. And the same with Paul Selleck. Paul Selleck was a dramaturg and, you know, you go to his workshops and so forth and, and, and his understanding of the books that he's channeling he needed to have that, if you like, that, that highly technical educational background to do what he's doing. And I've sort of come to the conclusion, <laughs> it is, is that I'm doing this because I was trained as a filmmaker. You're right. You know, and so I, and I, think, I agree. But don't you think that you signed up for all of this before you came? Well, you know, I've learned a lot from James Van Prague and, and Michael Tamura about this stuff. And that's what they say, and it kind of makes sense to me, you know. I mean, look, I'm, Frankie, I'm, and I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment on the film, and so what I'm doing is I'm sort of expanding out from, from the film as to what I've come to, to realise. And one of the things that I think really stuffs us up is our belief that we need scientific proof before we do anything. But in my research, what I've found is that science is always a laggard. It's always playing catch-up. I, as part of my research, I discovered that science only discovered that the germs caused disease 160 years ago. Germs cause disease. Now, I figure germs have always caused disease, but it's only been 160 years ago that it was validated by science. What was that doctor, the the Austrian doctor who got put in jail because he wanted people to wash their hands? Just told doctors, wash your hands. You'll have less patients die. And they put him in jail for being a heretic. You know, washing your hands, <laughs> God forbid, you know. <laughs> well, exactly. I, I, um, Newton, Science. Isaac Newton, was, um, was put in front of the, the Inquisition, the Church Inquisition for heresy, for daring to say that the earth revolved around the sun because the Bible said that the earth was the center of all creation mm-hmm. and that the sun revolved around that. But, but you know, Newton was... Um, was put under house arrest for the rest of his life for, for saying that. So my point is this. We, a lot of us are waiting for science to prove that intuition exists. Now, in my case, I don't need that proof because a voice told me it exists. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that's, that's lab, you know, that, that's sort of a, a double-blind test study of whatever it is for me. Um, but we don't need science to tell us that intuition exists. A lot of people hide behind the need for science to validate it. Or they right. put conditions on it. You know, they say, I, I, will be, I will become more intuitive. I will put more effort into becoming more intuitive 
you know, once the kids get, get through college or, you know, once I get a new job or once I move to New York or something like this, there's always a condition on it. But intuition is, doesn't work that way. You know, it's not a tap that you can switch on and off. So well, funny. I think what, what happens a lot of times is that people are waiting for something to give themselves permission to believe it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Well, if science yeah. says it's okay, then I guess it's okay for me to believe it. And that yeah. obviously doesn't need to be the case with the way intuition works because it's, it's so spontaneous and sp- so natural. And when you're convinced of the way it works, you just know it. You don't need anybody to have to validate it for you. Yeah. And so you don't so need true. permission. <laughs> so true. And look at yeah, science comes out every day that things are good for you. Now they're bad for you. Now they're good for you. Now they're bad for you. How do you, how you can't yeah. even believe them? Right? <laughs> the, um, you know, there's no doubt that science has done some wonderful things in, in the world. And I think one of the greatest things it's done is invented the cell phone. But that's another thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, um, but, you know, what's interesting in playing this film as I have around, around America and around Australia is after screening, and I do a Q&A, and pe- people come up to me and they say, and this word has been, been coming up time and time again, so they say, this film validates the way I've been thinking, or this film validates what happened to me when. And then they tell me their story about, you know, about how intuition, oftentimes stories about how intu- intuition has saved their life. And so this, you know, it, it's almost like this film has given people permission Mm-hmm. to start to talk about this, which is really, really what I wanted with the film. I, I wanted a discussion to start taking place about what intuition is and how it fits into our life and how we can use it. Because in the end, what I've come to believe is this, is that, you know, I call intuition a direct divine messaging. It is a messaging service. And, and the purpose of it is to help us make the right choices in life. That's, that's intuition's purpose. To Really, when it all boils down to it, it's to help us make the right choices. And oftentimes, you know, we come to a big decision in our life, you know, like should I go into a relationship with somebody? Should I take this job or should I, you know, move to another town or something like that? You know, sort of, you know, major life decision. And if we haven't been at a point where we're absolutely comfortable going with our intuition, we often make those decisions based on, what's expected of us, you know, what our parents think we should do, what our friends think we should do, or what society thinks we should do, or whatever. We go against our intuitive impulse to go, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to go this way. That's true. Um, and one of the things that the film raises is this, that is that if you start to work with intuition in small things, in little yeah. tiny things, and then start to get that um, – you know, that what um, Lee Carroll calls the proof of experience. Yeah. Uh, like I, I do it with parking and it's a bit of a game. You know, Saturday morning I go to the shopping mall and I, I know there's going to be absolutely no parking, but I go, no, I'm actually going to get the perfect parking spot. And uh, I play it as a game. Attraction. Now you're talking law of attraction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but, it, but it's also part of your guidance system as well. Yeah. You know, Lee, Lee Carroll in the film, of course, talks about the parking angel and people, as he says, people swear by the parking angel. And, um, you know, and so if you start to use it on little things, what happens then is you then get confident then. So when big decisions come up and your intuition kicks in, you're then confident to, to know, that, yeah, you can go with your intuition, everything's going to turn out okay. Yeah. There's a lovely line that um, one of the people in the film says, he says, there's no downside to intuition, there's only an upside. 
That's true. I like that too. Yeah. You know, I think, I think part of it is that people don't like to take responsibility, Bill. They, they don't want to take responsibility for their actions or their lives. So, you know, if my friends told me to do it or my family told me to do it, then I I can blame them. Right. If I, if I tell myself, Oh, I've only got myself to blame. Oh, that darn intuition told me to do this. (laughs) (laughs) Carolyn Mace, you might remember towards the end of the movie, Carolyn Mace, you know, says that very, very strongly. I mean, yeah. there's, I should say that there's very little that Callum Mace doesn't say strongly. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> I was quite surprised, but she, actually. <laughs> but um, but she but she says it very very strongly. She says people don't trust themselves. That's you know, true. And and they they blame others for their choices, and they they go, should I do this? Should I do this? And then if things don't work out, they turn back to that person. They say, you told me to do this. It's your fault that things didn't right. work out. They well, there's definitely. Themselves. Yeah, there's definitely a certain fear factor in there, particularly where Carolyn Mace is really is is concerned because uh, I'd heard her speak a number of years ago where she talked about people who were going out to assert their intuition, going out to assert their their uh, psychological independence from what she calls their tribe, and she said the first thing that's going to happen to those people when they tell their group that is that they're going to be shot on sight, not because the person is exercising their independence, but because it's scaring the people who are still in the group who realize they're going to have to do the same thing for themselves at some point right. and they don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think, all fear. That's one of the big three fears that, you know, why people are afraid because they're going to have to leave their tribe. They're going to have, people are going to say, Oh, uh, I, I can't like you anymore because you know, you're going to make me have to do things too. So, you know, I'm going to back away, which is what happened to you, Bill. Some of the, your friends thought, oh, I don't want to start thinking like him. I, I, I'm not going that route, so I'll just back away. <laughs> let, him, let him be out there in, in that funny world. Uh, that's not going to be me. And, and so they stay in the lower realms. They stay, you know, lower down because their consciousness isn't where yours is right now. And that's okay. Well, you know, but, you know, I, 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 I tell you what, um, Lee Carroll says something very interesting in the movie. Um, I, I ask him, you know, what, what do you say about, about people who are reluctant to use their intuition? And Lee says, hey, listen, we're not saying that intuition is for everybody. If you're reluctant, then you're not ready for it. Right. And there's some, some people who come to the film and they're not ready for it. And so they walk out and they might be different about the film. Well, I've got to say, the response to the film, normally people who come to the film, you know, are ready for it. And it's incredible. But, so is the film notion- in, in art houses, is it in distributed is it distributed yet into theaters where is it at sorry it, yeah yeah uh, how, how it's being distributed is uh, by what's called uh, theatrical on demand so okay. it's a host driven uh, thing where people um people get onto us through our website or through the distributors our website is pgsthemovie.com um they can agree to host a movie doesn't cost them anything the distributor organizes the cinema the host's job is basically to get the required number of people to make the screening economically viable, um, and it, hap- it happens that way. So um, we've had now about 100 screenings around America this nice. way. Nice, nice. And um, probably a similar number in Australia. Um, but, um, but, yeah, this idea that, that not everybody is ready for intuition. Not, not, not everybody, you know, there are a lot of people, as Lee Carroll says, that are stuck in survival mode. Um, and you know, it might even be next lifetime <laughs> or a couple of lifetimes down the track that they're, that they're ready 
to start to embrace this aspect of themselves. And this aspect of themselves is something that we all have, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the awakening. That's that, con- you know, that awakening that's happening in the world right now where people are unsettled. You know, some people, they're just not there yet. And like you said, another couple of lifetimes. You, one of, you know, you're with Sarah uh, and, and one of her other clients, Dina Mer- uh, Miriam, you know, her book, My Journey Through Time. I don't know if you read it fascinating about seven lifetimes so intricately described you cannot deny that she was here those times so intricately okay. described it's absolutely fascinating book and and it talks about it, that one walks you through really karma and and it really shows how your karma goes through lifetimes and jumps and skips mm. and then it comes back you know very very fascinating world that you're opening up to so there are lots there i do want to ask you about your book though so this new book mm. Okay, writer, director, screenplay. Uh, now you're now you're a, a young adult fiction writer. <laughs> Where's that coming from? Oh yeah, well, it's um, I mean, it's it's really interesting. I, I've been um, yeah, I'm I'm writing I'm writing a book on the film at the moment, which is coming out in August. Um, but separate to that, I've got a three book deal with Penguin Random House. It's a series of young adult novels, and it's set in the world of modern day witchcraft. In fact, oh, and what cool. it's about is yeah, it's it's about um, it's actually an examination of the souls journey it's about how one woman's soul is taken and about how her daughter tries to get the soul back oh. and so what I've, what, I've, what I've been doing it's interesting because the intuition film has informed the writing of the books and the writing of the books has informed the intuition film and it's um it's a it's a it's a way basically for me to get this um this this discussion happening about the soul you see in the end this is i mean intuition is all of the soul right you know it it is the soul's whisper it is the soul's connection with you it's about it's about the destiny path and the life um the blueprint with you know that you came into this incarnation with and the soul's you know trying to keep you on that path so the soul can grow and come back then you know with and so forth, you know. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get these concepts into this young adult series of novels, um, you know, through through basically a thriller genre. So is there a shaman that comes and, and brings it back? So I'm not telling. Okay. I can't wait to read the book. <laughs> I want to read that book. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, Bill, you've been amazing. Thank you so very much. And is there something that anything that you want – you know, our listeners to know about come to the website. If they want to do a screening, go there, hook up with your folks there and, and they can organize that so they can watch the film. Well, yeah, look, that'd, that'd be great. It's pgsthemovie.com, pgsthemovie.com and, and uh, all the information's there. I, I guess the last thing I'd like to say is this um, one thing which I picked up in the making of this, this film is the notion of first thought, best thought, you know, and your first thought is your intuitive thought and it's your best thought. Most times we go with our second thought, which is our, you know, our rational thought. And our rational thought keeps us buried in what I call the archives, in past knowledge. Our first thought leads to expansion, you know, it leads to freshness, originality, creativity, which are the things that, you know, which is what we, we need really to be successful in life. Um, oftentimes we dismiss the first thought because we think it's crazy and, you know, it could lead us down, you know, to you know, often a whole other directions that we really don't know. But that's the really exciting thing about life. If we can start to run with this idea of first thought, best thought, then it can open up a whole other way of living for you. I guess that's your bumper sticker. 
<laughs> oh no, my, my bumper stickers go with guidance. Oh, okay. I like that too. <laughs> we, you're talking to Mr. Bill Bennett from Australia, director, writer, author, all kinds of stuff he's, you're into. Uh, thank you so much for taking time. He's at a film festival in the outback here. Come on. How amazing is that to sit and talk to us for an hour? Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Brent, did you want to add anything? Wonderful film. Everyone should definitely go see it and spread the word. It's, it's great. Oh, I should say, yeah, Brent did a fantastic write-up on it uh, on the Good Radio Network website, so you can read his review of the film, and uh, yeah, it's fascinating, really great stuff, good stuff. Fantastic. Thank you, Brent. My pleasure. And thank you, Frankie. Thank you so much for joining us today.